Amen. Please be seated. If you're an elementary-aged kiddo, you can head out these doors right here and go to, go to Sunday school. Don't just head out and go wherever you want. And uh, if you're a middle school-aged kid, uh, head out the back. There'll be some great teaching out there. If you're older than that, you're stuck with us, or if your parents say you have to stay. So, how's everybody doing? We're doing all right? All right. I, uh... <clears throat> Pulled a couple favors and brought the good weather today, so enjoy it. And uh, just kidding, I, I can't control the weather. Um, that's why it's a joke. Anyway, I, uh, my name is Brandon Scott. I'm a, I'm a pastor here uh, along with Treb, and we, uh, we, we, you know, if you have some great idea that we know what we're doing, you can just lay those ideas aside because we don't. But uh, welcome, to, welcome to the Vine. If you're a visitor here, we are truly glad that you're here. I know it's spooky coming into, into a new church. And uh, I've said it once before that we're a nightmare for extroverts here, so we'll just tug all over you. So uh, if you need a, need a break, just uh, tell everybody just to back away for a while. But we're glad that you're here today. And we're, we're going to continue in our series of uh, John. And we'll be in uh, chapter 15 today, verses 9 through 17. And I think Treb said that this is the 60th week, or maybe last week. I think this is 60 weeks, uh, which all that means is that this is the 60th week. We don't have a, we're going to finish when we finish, which is going to be sometime longer than 60 weeks. And we've just been going verse by verse through the book of John. It's been an amazing journey. And we're right now in the midst of this, uh, this farewell discourse of Jesus. It's uh, after the Passover meal and, and at the end of chapter 13, this discourse started where he's really just talking to the disciples. And it's this enormous section of text where Jesus is just talking and he's just teaching and it's, it's, just, it's amazing. And last week, Treb was in the first part of chapter 15 where Jesus is talking about abiding in him as the vine. And it's where our church gets our name, and it's where we get really our identity as a church, that Christ is the vine through which all of love and life and ministry flows, and that we are the branches that bear the fruit of his work. So today we're going to get into some of more of what that looks like, the identity of our church flows right into the mission of our church, which is to love much and love well as we take the gospel to the one, the city, and the world. And so what does that look like? We're going to figure a little bit more of that out today in this passage. So if you would, pray with me, and we'll jump in. <sighs> Heavenly Father, um, what a wonderful time of worship to sing things like, I surrender all to you, to sing things like, just to praise your name, to release all of our capacity and all of our self-sufficiency into your mighty, wondrous capacity. We can do nothing unless you do it through us. And so we come to you, Lord Jesus, and we just surrender to you. Uh, I come to you as, as, as a preacher to surrender my mouth to you, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be glorifying to you and pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We come as the body of Christ to surrender our minds and our hearts and our wills to your word, to your teaching. You, Heavenly Father, teach us through your spirit, and we ask you to do that now. Help us understand what this passage is saying. Help us apply it to our lives that we would not be merely hearers of the word who delude themselves, but doers of the word. That is what transforms us, Lord Jesus, when we see your word and when we apply it and we do what you say. So would you help us, Lord Jesus, 
We each come to you, Lord, with all of our junk, all of the things that we did this week, Lord, that should break our hearts as we come before you. Lord, we come before the great and the mighty, gracious throne of God, and we ask for help in our time of need. Correct, rebuke, and encourage us, Lord. Teach us what you want us to know. Transform how we think and who we are as a church. Help us love much and love well, Lord Jesus, as we take the gospel to the one, the city, and the world. We pray this in the risen and exalted name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so we're in John 15, verse 9. And the context of this is, obviously, it's, it's the 15th chapter in John, so there's 14 chapters in front of it. So the, that's, we're not going to recap all that. But the past few verses in chapter 15 where Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him who will bear much fruit apart from me, you can do nothing. That is this idea of, of remaining or, or abiding, your Bible might say. And Eugene Peterson in, his, uh, in, in the message paraphrased it as, as kind of making, making our, our home in his love, making ourself at home in Christ. And so as Jesus is going to continue in verse 9, this idea of remaining or abiding is really making yourself at home there. That it's where you, you are, and it's not just this concept of, I'm going to work harder, and we're going to get a little bit more into that. So let's read through the passage. So verse 9 says this, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. Okay, so Jesus is coming to the disciples and he's saying, I'm the vine, you must abide in me to bear fruit. And then in verse 9 he says this, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. So at this primary point, Jesus is saying, as the Father loved me, that's how I'm going to love you. So if you know anything at all about God, just think about what kind of love God the Father would have for God the Son. I mean, if you want to melt your brain trying to figure that out, that's in, that is something worth spending your life thinking about. But this love of God, it is pure and it is wholehearted. Uh, one commentator said that it's fervent, passionate, personal, intelligent, enduring. It is self-sacrificing and it is selfless. Let me repeat those things. The love of God the Father for the Son is pure, wholehearted. There's nothing held back. It is fervent. It is passionate. It engages his emotions. It is personal. It's not some sort of inanimate love. It is intelligent. It is a love that thinks. It is enduring. It doesn't stop. It is self-sacrificing, and it is selfless. He's not considering himself and his love for the Son. Isn't that incredible? At his baptism, he says, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. 
God the Father loves Jesus. And Jesus says, as he has loved me, so I have loved you. That's incredible. So he's saying this to the disciples, right? And a lot of this is going to be like a tangential inference to us. It's going to apply to us because we're his disciples. Well, I'm assuming you're his disciple. If you're not, make some changes and follow Jesus. But anyway, that's another sermon. So, but Jesus says, now remain in my love. He doesn't just come in and say, do better, right? That's not what he says. He says, listen, the Father has loved me. The love of God is always primary. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, right? It is always primary. It is the, he is always the initiator. He is the source of all love, and he is the initiator of loving his creation. The Father loves the Son, and the Son loves us, just like the Father loves him. Now, because the Father loves me, because I love you like that, remain in my love. Verse 10, if you obey my commandments you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commandments and remain in his love. Do you see this? Jesus is going to keep doing this. He's going to say, listen, just like if you want to know how to do it, just look at what I, how I love the Father. Look at how I live. Just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love, I want you to obey my commands and remain in my love. I'm not, he's not asking us to do anything that he didn't do. Isn't that incredible? He lived in absolute, utter dependence and surrender to the Father. And because of that, he obeyed his commandments. We're going to get into some of the the mechanics of that in a minute. I've told you this, look at this. I've told you these things, Jesus says, so that you will feel like really, really bad, rotten, disobedient children and beat yourself up all the time. It's what it says, right? No, of course not. I must have read it in a church bulletin or something. But he says, I've told you this so that what? My joy, whose joy? Jesus' joy may be where? In you. And that your joy may be complete. The psalmist says, in your presence is fullness of joy. So Jesus is telling them this. He's saying, abide in my love, remain in my love, obey my commands, and thereby remain in my love. I tell you this so that you will have my very joy. Imagine the joy that Jesus had every day. you imagine that? Jesus was not like Eeyore walking around going, oh boy. And we've all got Eeyores, right? Every, we all have Eeyore days where uh, it's just not going very well. And that's okay. But Jesus was full of joy. It doesn't mean he's leaping around going, everything's perfect while he's getting tortured. But even in his torture, he had joy. Because Hebrews says it was for the joy set before him that he endured the shame of the cross. Isn't that incredible? This is what God does in the life of a person. He turns suffering into joy. I have told you this, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. This is as clear as a bell. Love each other as I have loved you period. Next verse. My command is this, love each other as I've loved you. Now, the context is talking to the 11 remaining disciples. Application-wise, of course, it's not hard to make that leap. What are we supposed to do? What's Jesus's commandment? Love each other. How? As I have loved you. Well, how has he loved us? He's loved us like the Father has loved us, with this pure, wholehearted, fervent, 
compassionate, personal, intelligent, enduring, self-sacrificing, selfless love. So he's saying, listen, I want you to look to your brother or your sister who has hurt you and has made you feel bad and has done mean things to you, and I want you to love them with a pure, wholehearted, fervent, passionate, personal, intelligent, enduring, selfless love. Easy, right? And then he goes on to say this. I'm gonna, Jesus is going to explain a little bit what he means by that. Greater love has this as no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. He's like, so just so you know, what I mean is that I want you to be willing to die for somebody. Okay, no, no big deal, Jesus. You are my friends if you do what I command. He just said, greater love is this, as no man than this, than that he would lay down his life for his friends. And then he says, you are my friends. It's exactly what he's going to do. He says, you're my friends if you do what I command. I don't think it's an if-then statement as in his friendship is dependent upon our obedience. That's not what it is. Any more than our sonship is dependent upon our obedience to the Father, right? I am God's son because he says I'm his son. He loves me not because we earn his love, but because he loves me. Jesus is their friend, and he's going to clear this up in just a few verses. Not because they obey him, but they obey him because they are his friends. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. He doesn't know what his master is doing. Master just says, servant, do this, and the servant says, okay. I don't have to. Anybody who's been an employee has felt like that, right? The guy, your boss says, do this, and you do that. You don't say, you can say why, and he says, because I told you to do it. And everybody, every parent's probably done the same thing, and all these parent books said never to do that, and then we all do it anyway, because at this point, I feel like it's a legitimate reason for my child to pick up his socks. So, why do I pick up my socks? Because I said to pick them up. I think that is fair, by the way. So, there's other reasons. I'm like, because it'll make you a valuable member of society, but at this moment right now, I want you to pick them up just because I said so. And um, of course, then if they don't, then I sit down and I talk with them and I say, uh, I want, do you love me? Yes. Good. I want you to show that you love me by picking up your socks. Okay, I'll pick up my socks. It's amazing. Sometimes it works. Instead, I have called you friends, not servants anymore. Why? Everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Okay, so don't gloss over that. Jesus learned. Jesus learned from the father. So Jesus is, in the, in the, the doctrine of the incarnation, he is fully man and fully God, okay? I will probably never understand that. I don't think anyone will ever understand that. I don't know that in eternity we'll have the capacity to understand the mystery of the incarnation. But the Jesus being, at the same time, fully man and fully God, in his humanity, learned from the Father. And everything that he's learned from his Father, he's made known to the disciples. I mean, that's, wow. Then he says this, you did not choose me, I chose you. Remember, Matthew was not sitting there and walked up to Jesus and goes, hey, hey, rabbi, can I follow you? No. Peter was not standing out on the boat and Jesus walks up and Peter goes, hey, can I? No. Jesus walked up and said, follow me. And they left everything behind and they followed Jesus. He chose them. He wanted them and he chose them. He chose these guys, one of whom would betray him to his death. He chose them, 
And then he says, I appointed you. So he didn't just say, follow me, but he's got something for them to do. And he appointed you to do what? To go. He always appoints us to go. That's what that song was about. I could be safe here in your arms and never leave home. To go and do what? Bear fruit. What kind of fruit? Fruit that will last, fruit that will abide, fruit that will endure, fruit that will remain. What kind of fruit is that? The fruit that he bears through a person abiding in him. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. So that verse, uh, we live in a world of uh, prosperity gospel, by the way. This is going to be a little bit of a tangent. Uh, just, just to make things super duper clear, the prosperity gospel is not the gospel and it's a lie from the devil. All right? So anything outside of that, if it just hurt your feelings, I'm glad because it's time for you to wake up and realize that that's the truth. That is not the gospel. The gospel is not Jesus died so I could have more stuff or Jesus died and rose from the dead so I could have power to be the best me that I can be. That's, let me bleep myself. That's not the truth, okay? Almost let something slip. So I get really mad though because uh, Jesse Duplantis is once, uh, is believing God for another $50 million jet because the four that he has is not good enough. What? Because Jesus would ride around on a plane? First off, he could just fly there. But the prosperity gospel is not the gospel. It is enough of the truth to sneak people in and then it lies from them and it steals their resources so that greedy, false teachers can live incredible lives. That is the prosperity gospel. The real gospel is this, that Jesus came and died and wants us to die to ourselves and live to his glory. That is the real gospel. The real gospel is this, that if you ask the Father anything in Christ's name, he will give it to you. If you are abiding in the vine, if you are abiding in Christ's love, if you are walking in obedience to him and loving others in a selfless way, if you are walking in the appointed path, if you are going and bearing fruit that lasts, then in the process of doing that which God is calling you to do, if you need something to accomplish what God is calling you to do and appointed you to do, and you ask the Father for it, then he will give it to you. This is not a promise that you'll get a Ferrari. Nothing wrong with Ferraris, by the way. I would, uh, my kids ask me all the time, would you, would you buy a Ferrari? And I'd say, uh, no. But if someone gave me one, I would drive it for a week, and then I would sell it and pay off like all the houses on my block. So, but the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name if you are doing what Jesus has just told us to do. And then he says one more time, this is my command. Love each other. He bookends this whole thing in that. There's no getting away from it. There's no getting away from it. That we are supposed to love one another. All right, so remaining or abiding in Christ, remaining or abiding in his love is absolutely paramount. And it is the decisive, what does it look like? Because that's always the question that I have is, okay, so what does it look like to remain in his love, to abide in his love, to abide or remain in the vine? It is the decisive and disciplined rejection of self-sufficiency. You hear that? Abiding in Christ always starts with the decisive and disciplined 
rejection of self-sufficiency. That should take all the air out of most of what Americanaism pumps into us day in and day out. You can do it. Manifest destiny. A man after my own thing. The entire poem Invictus. I am the, I'm the captain of my soul. You can be the master of your fate. You can be the captain of your soul. But you cannot do that and remain in Christ. You cannot. There is not room on the throne for two of you. He will only work through the man or the woman or the child who will surrender their self-sufficiency to him and walk in his power. Period. That is what it means to abide in Christ. It means you come to him and you say, I cannot do this, Jesus. You must do it. I release everything that I am to you and I ask you to live your life through me. That is abiding in Christ. That is where it begins. That is our primary responsibility is to have the decisive and disciplined rejection of self-sufficiency. But here's good news. Love is not produced by us. Do you know that? This is not, Jesus is not saying, I want you to produce more love, right? He says, I want you to make more love. Oh, I want you to make, create, fabricate, produce, wrong word, more love, and then love people better, okay? I mean, really. Laugh that one off. So, I'm not the source of the love. Do you get that? So when Jesus says, love as I have loved you, you can't actually do that, and I can't either. Nobody can. Look what Jesus says. As the Father has loved me, I have loved you. Do you see how this works? The, the Son receives the love of the Father, and the Son gives his love to us, and we are to love others with the love that God the Father and the Son have for one another. I'm going to steal, there's a, a book called The Mystery of Godliness by Ian W. Thomas. And in it, he says that godliness is the direct and exclusive consequence of God's activity and of God's capacity to reproduce himself in you. Listen to that again. Godliness is the direct and exclusive consequence of God's activity and God's capacity to reproduce himself in you. So when he says, remain in my love, when he says, obey my commands, when he says, love each other as I have loved you, all he wants to do is live his capacity to love other people through you. That's what he wants to do. That's where the whole vine and branches metaphor comes from. We are like dead branches laying on the ground, straining really hard to make more fruit. It doesn't work. I mean, I, anybody who's got a garden knows that once you cut the thing off from the vine, if you've got a blackberry bush and you've got the cane coming up and the blackberry shoot coming off, you cut the part off, it doesn't make any blackberries. If you take a tomato vine and cut a part off or an apple tree and cut a branch off, there's no fruit coming out of that because it doesn't work that way. And yet we sit there and we, we, it's like we push really hard to make, but a branch will never, it's like getting mad at a branch on the ground saying, why are you making no apples? Why? You need to try harder. Try harder, branch. That's what so much of the church spends time doing is looking at another branch on the ground saying, wow, look at you. You are a mess. I mean, wow. You should really be better. It's not what Jesus is saying, is it? He wants us to reject our self-sufficiency 
and come to him and say, Lord Jesus, help me remain in you. Bear your fruit through me. That is the only way that it works. Because my capacity to love people is really, really small. Really small. I mean, I, I wear out before like 7.24 in the morning if I'm trying to love in my own power. It happens. We have four kids. Five, five four, whatever. We have a bunch of kids in our house. So <laughs> lose count after a while. You move to a zone defense. Anyway, so keep them from scoring. But there's a bunch. We have neighborhood kids. So if I'm trying to love Jenny or if I'm trying to love uh, one of my kids or if I'm trying to love a neighbor or if I'm trying to love a, 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 another believer or if I'm trying to love an unbeliever in my own power, I just drain fast. And it's like breathing, right? You can only exhale for so long, right? Until you've got to breathe in. But loving people in our own power is like just exhaling. And we end up just all passed out on the ground, worn out from trying to do it on our own power. You've got to breathe in. Because loving people is never convenient. Um, It just isn't. It is not convenient for my wife to love me. I guarantee it. It is not convenient for my kids even to love me because I'm, I'm broken and I've got, I lose my temper and I, I, I'm not perfect. None of us are. It's not convenient to come up here on a Saturday and clean up all the urine on the floor because a three-year-old boy missed the toilet. It's not convenient. It's not convenient to go down to the park every Wednesday and to make food and lunch every single Wednesday for our homeless friends down there. Not convenient. It's not always convenient to come up here on a Monday night or to go to life group. Or It's not convenient to learn your neighbor's names so you can invite them into your house, so you can talk to them and love on them. It's not convenient to love much and love well as you take the gospel to the one, the city, and the world. There is not a first conveniences in here. It's not there. It's not comfortable, and it's not easy, because Jesus is asking us to do something that is impossible. Do you realize that? He's asking us to love people with God's never-ending, never-giving-up, unbreaking, always-and-forever love. He's asking us to do it, but he's not asking us to do it in our power. He's just asking us to remain in him and to allow him to love people through us. That's breathing in and breathing out. Remaining in the vine is the inhale. The exhale is the love. It is, it is this reciprocal thing you receive from the Lord and you give what he gives you. If you are working and trying and if you read this text and you're reading it and you say, I, I'm, so, I'm so tired. I don't have any more to love. I'm out. There's a good chance that you may be doing it in your own power, which is utterly exhausting. Now, I'm not saying that you don't rest and that you don't learn to say no and that you don't um, take time away. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that we do most of our loving in our own power, and so it wears us out instead of fulfills us. Loving people is never convenient. Um, And I don't think it's supposed to be. Was it convenient for Jesus to do what he did? I mean, talk about massively inconvenient to come and then have your friends betray you and then die for them. We have built our entire culture around convenience. Literally. Literally. We joke about it with first world problems. 
my cell phone or the whatever. Someone got my chai latte wrong. Um, really? But obedience is the outflow of love. Look at what the text says. Remain in my love in verse 9. Obey my commands and you will, and you will remain in my love. Do you see that? The Father has loved me, so I have loved you. So make your home in my love and do what I say. Obedience is the outflow of love. We're not, you don't have to produce obedience. It's not your job to wake up and go, oh, I need to try so much harder to obey. No, it's that obedience comes out of remaining. When you are remaining in Christ, then obedience flows easily out of that. That's why it was the joy set before him to go to the cross. That's why Jesus, even in all of his torment in Gethsemane, crying out to the Father that he did not want to bear the physical pain, but also the separation from his Father. He cried out to him and was obedient. Not your will, but my will. Not my will, but your will be done. That is what he cried out because he was abiding and remaining in his Father's love. Obedience is the outflow of love. Don't work on being more obedient. Work on utterly surrendering yourself to Jesus. And then joy is the outflow of obedience. I've told you this so that your joy, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Um, have you ever seen a, a, a child... Um, obey their parents begrudgingly. Um, <laughs> have you ever obeyed a boss or an employer begrudgingly? Have you ever filed your taxes begrudgingly? Have you ever, I mean, <laughs> uh, filing taxes is actually living in obedience to the Lord. Isn't that awful? So it's wonderful. It's great. So, but I don't do it with joy. So, um, and I should, I'm convicted now. I just now convicted myself, self-convict myself. So, Literally, we should file our taxes with joy. Do you understand that? I should file my taxes with joy because joy is the outflow of obedience. Joy is not that which we produce when we try really hard to be joyful. See, everything is flipped. It's not produce love by trying harder. It's not produce obedience. It's not produce joy. It's not produce fruit. Do you see? It is surrender entirely to Jesus. He will love through you he will help you obey. He will give you his joy, and he will bear his fruit through you. It is not passive. It is this active connectedness to Jesus. And joy is the outflow of obedience. It's always a good uh, marker is to check your attitude when you're having to do something. If it's not joyful... guess what? You're just trying to do it on your own, which is 90% of how I live my life, is trying to work and produce joy. Jesus learned. Do you know that? He, uh, my brain really doesn't have capacity for this. Uh, it's a good way to melt your brain, is to try to think about the reality that Jesus learned but he learned obedience. He learned the things of life. 
Jesus had the attitude of a learner. And, and Paul says that we should have the same attitude in ourselves as that of Christ Jesus, right? In, in Philippians chapter 2. To empty ourselves so that God can work through us. Jesus emptied himself and he allowed the Father to work through him. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I obey the Father's commands and remain in his love. Jesus allowed the Father to work through him, to empower him to do the things that he did. It's unbelievable, but it's true. And that is the model that we have for life. But we must come to him as a learner. You've got to breathe in. Do you understand me? There is a time in every day for you to receive of the love of God. And if you do not receive of the love of God and understand the love of God, that's why Paul prays for the Ephesians, right? He prays for them that they would have power with all the saints to comprehend what is the breadth and width and height and depth of the love of Christ and to know this love which surpasses knowledge. That we must know that love. How are we going to know what Christ wants us to do if we don't ever study the word? We must make time to be filled so that the Lord pours us out again. And we constantly stay filled. Someone said, uh, the, what's the only way if you've got a cracked pot and that pot's job is to stay full of water and pour water out, how do you keep it full if it's cracked? Because we're all cracked. I'm like a broken clay pot. You pour water in me, it just blah, comes all out. Well, the input must be greater than the output. You understand? You must remain in the vine. All of the things, the nutrients and the water and the sap that flows from the vine to the branch to bear the fruit. But when you go to the vine and you're like, you know, I'm really busy today. Let's not have any sap today. I'm going to go out here. I'm going to sit on the end of my branch. I'm going to work really hard to be joyful. Um, it doesn't work. It'll never work. And it's utterly exhausting. It's called legalism. It's when we try to earn God's love and favor. Look what Jesus says. I chose you. I appointed you. God does not love us because we're wonderful. He loves us because he's God. And it is the outflow of his character that we receive. He does not love you because you earn it. And he does not continue to love you because you continue to earn it. This whole gospel is not make yourself good enough for Jesus so that you'll pop up above the crowd so he'll pluck you out and say, well, that's a good one there. I'll keep him. Oh, uh, but the other, no, no, he, they're not good enough yet. Only the guys that are good enough, I'll take with me. He took the ragamuffins and made them the disciples. That's the gospel. Peter was an uneducated fisherman then he gets, who denied Jesus to his face. And then Jesus takes him, restores him, fills him with his Holy Spirit, and Jesus preaches the gospel, and 3,000 people come. Peter becomes this incredible vessel for life and light and godliness. Not because Peter was awesome, but because God is awesome. And Peter was surrendered. That is it. And that is what it means to abide or remain in Christ's love. 
there is a, uh, a tendency that humans have to want to do it on our own. I mean, it's from, just start in Genesis and start reading. All through the Bible is, is people trying to do it in their own power. Abraham, David, Hezekiah. They're all trying to do it in their own power. Why? Well, because we want the credit. Plain and simple. We want someone to say, you're great. The reality, of course, is that God looks at us and says, you're amazing. You're beautiful. You are precious. You are a treasure to me. You're my masterpiece. I created you in my image. I died to save you. I love you. All of the outflow of all of God's impossible eternal love is poured out on his children. Peter says that we have everything we need for life and godliness. Everything you need. Just surrender to Jesus, the vine, and allow his life to come through you. Spend time with him. I mean... I don't know how many sermons come back to read your Bible and pray every day, but it's just make time for it. You must be filled. How will you know what to do if you don't know what he says? But mostly I I want you to do it because it is by spending dedicated time in the Word that you walk up to Jesus and you make this disciplined and decisive rejection of self-sufficiency, and then you come to his Word and you say, teach me, Jesus, and you read it. If you don't feel like you know how to study the Bible, we we will teach you how to do that. That's not complicated. If you don't feel like you have time to study the Bible, you do. You just have to probably give something else up. I don't know what that is. Give it up. I'm not kidding. If you feel like you have to quit your job, quit it in the Lord will provide. Don't freak out and quit your job right now. But I mean do something that severe. Be willing to do something extraordinarily insane in the eyes of the world to obey and abide in Jesus. Because I want this church to be a church that loves much and loves well. Because that is how the Father loves the Son. And that is how the Son loves us. As we take the gospel because we've been appointed to go to the one, the one, that one person matters. To the city starting with where you live, and to the world, to the uttermost parts of the earth. Let's pray. Jesus, we come to you not because we are wonderful, but because you are good, and because you are Lord. You loved in an impossible way, Lord Jesus, because you continually chose to abide in your Father's love. Would you help us abide in your love that the life your life in us that the fruit that we bear would be the exclusive consequence of you living your life through us of you loving through us and that we would be these vessels these jars cracked but overflowing with abundance of love that out of the outflow of your love for us, that we would love much and love well. Jesus, help it start in our homes. Help us husbands love our wives. Help us love our children. Help wives love their husbands. 
Help us love our body here. Help us love one another well. Help us love our neighbor well. Expand our vision. Expand our concept of what it means. But more than anything, Lord Jesus, I, I pray for us now that you would help us to reject our own self-sufficiency and to walk in utter dependence upon you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what we're getting ready to celebrate, this marvelous picture of the Lord's Supper, that we would take and eat and drink and remain in you until you come again. Come, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. This table is this magnificent expression of God's incredible love. It's the greatest gift that he gave us as followers of Christ. It's what unites us across the globe. It's what touches our life to the life of the believer on the street and in our city, across our state and our nation, is that what we celebrate here is this incredible gift that God gave us to the person of Jesus Christ, that he laid down his life, that we might know what love looks like. All that Brandon was explaining is wrapped up in the picture of this table, the love of God poured out on the Son was given for you, that we might allow him to live through us to demonstrate that love to the world. We've been in this place in the book of John pretty recently, that night that Jesus was betrayed, the very night that he dipped his hand in the bread with, or the bell with Judas, the very night that he would tell the disciples that all would fall away. We're in that same night in Scripture. And Jesus gathered with those that he loves, and he takes this loaf of bread, and after giving thanks, he breaks it, and he says, this bread is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, after he took the bread, he took the cup, and he said, this cup is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. This is the new covenant poured out for you, that as long as we take of this bread and this cup, we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again. We celebrate communion here at Divine Community Church uh, by means of intinction, which means as you come forward or to the back, we'll have stations in both places, you can take a piece of bread and dip it in the cup and eat. This table is not a denominational table. It's open to all who profess faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. And it is the ultimate expression of God's love and our worship of a God who gave all so that we might know him. As we invite our servers to come forward, um, our worship team is going to continue to lead us in worship. I invite you to come and share this meal together and then remain standing as we close our time in worship. If